Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, need you to scoot in. We weren't paying attention. A lot of people are coming in right now. If you're coming in looking for a place, I'm seeing some balcony seats that are open uh, up, in, up on both sides. So uh, if you don't find anything down here, head on upstairs, uh, get into the peanut gallery, and you'll love it up there. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm talking about worldviews today. I'm going to talk from Daniel chapter 2 about our worldview. What I mean by our worldview is, I mean, how you view the world, how you understand your culture, you know, the way you were raised, the culture that you lived in kind of shapes how you view the world and that views your faith. It all kind of goes together. Um, how your parents raised you religiously, you know, is going to affect you. How you were raised socioeconomically is going to affect you. For example, my wife got me this uh, riding lawnmower for Father's Day and... and you know, because I grew up a poor child, I think that's pretty exciting, but, but you probably don't get it. I'm from the South, so you probably don't understand a church sign that would say something like, get her done for God. But, but I understand that, okay? Or this place, uh, D. Hart's Bible Entire Store. Don't you love that? I mean, that goes together where I come from. You know, whatever in your life is going flat, we can fix it. You know what I'm saying? And your worldview is shaped by the things that are going on around you. So if you're not from the South, you are not going to understand the prayer that I'm going to show you right now. But I have a new pastoral hero. His name is Joe Nelms from Family Baptist Church in Lebanon, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, who was asked to pray for a NASCAR event recently. And, uh, oh, some of you have seen it already. Let me just show you. It's so great. And finally, we take you to Nashville, Tennessee, and the NASCAR Nationwide Series race where Pastor Joe Nelms delivers one of the most unusual pre-race prayers you will ever hear. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for all your blessings. You said in all things give thanks. So we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the R07 engines. Thank you for Sunoco Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa. My two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the little E's. Lord, I pray you bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, boogity, boogity. Amen. <laughs> Boogity, 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 amen. All God's people said, boogity, 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 amen. I, I just want to show you that because some of you think I'm inappropriate and I want you to know that there are others, okay? Um, if you don't understand that, you don't understand the South, you don't understand Nashville, imagine my son-in-law who's from England, who is living now in Nashville right there, trying to understand, you know, moving, but, but, but it's, it's deeper than just uh, cultural stuff, you know, it's deeper than just the language, there's, I mean, imagine my son-in-law who grew up in England, who has, with no Christian basis whatsoever, I mean like three or four percent of, of Great Britain, are, are, are believers in Jesus. I mean, imagine going from there into the Bible Belt where there are 700 churches in Nashville. I mean, there's a, there's a difference that's going on here, okay? Which takes us to Daniel. It's why I want you to understand, I talked last week about how Daniel was taken from his cult. Da Daniel was basically taken from Nashville to England, 
Okay? He was taken from the Bible Belt, which was Israel. He was abducted, basically. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he was abducted from Israel, which was the, the belt of the buckle of God's people, and taken into Babylon, where they didn't worship the, the true God at all. Okay? So that's what's going on. But I want you to notice his worldview in the middle of all of that. Because the way that we view the world affects the way that we view our faith, and that affects everything in our life. Let me review. Daniel 1.1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, okay? God's people are taken over by a, 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 a guy who didn't believe in God at all, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of the world. There's a lot of heartbreak, as I said last week, in, in Daniel 1.1, that he besieged this the, the people of Israel, they were taken over, okay? And he decided what was going to happen. He decided well, he was going to be in control. He was the big mighty king. But Daniel determined, chapter 1, verse 8, not to go along with the king and the things that he wanted. Even though he was taken from his culture and put into another culture, there was a point at which Daniel, this is what we studied last week, stood up for what he believed in. He stood up for his worldview, and we're going to see that some more today. What Daniel discovered was that God was in Babylon as much as he was in Israel. And I quoted this from Dallas Willard. I want to do it again. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment is not being right, we will simply have no place to receive His kingdom into our life. What I mean by that is that it doesn't matter whether you're in the Bible Belt or in some other place where they don't worship God. It doesn't matter if you have a, a job and you're surrounded by Christians like I do, or you have a job and there's no Christians to be seen. It doesn't matter if you're in a family where the, everybody's a Christian and everybody stayed married and everybody did the things that, that Christians were going to do, or you lived in a family where Christ was not you know, a part of it at all. And you, It doesn't matter. Because God, if your worldview is the way that it ought to be, which we'll talk about today, God is present in absolutely everything. Okay? So let me, let me show you the three different worldviews. You can turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 2 if you want to. Worldview number one would be Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? He is the king. He is in charge of everything. His worldview was, God is me. Okay? And, and, and you've got to admit, it'd be kind of fun. It'd be fun to be God. I didn't realize I wore... A shirt just like God's. Um, that was not intentional. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar was this great ruler, okay? Let me, let me give you a little background, okay? He's this, he's this very, very powerful guy, very, very rich guy. He was the guy who would be on Good Morning Babylon, you know, in the mornings on the, on the TV show. He was very, very important, and he had a whole lot of pride because he was that important. He had this bumper sticker on the back of his chariot, Jesus loves you, but, loves you, but I'm his favorite, huh? He had that kind of an attitude, okay? He thought he was all that, except everything was not all that it was supposed to be with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. It's the second year, only the second year of his reign. Assyria, which was the other competing uh, kingdom, had fallen. Nebuchadnezzar was basically the uh, Alexander the Great. He was the Attila the Hun. He was the Napoleon. He was the guy that controlled most of the known world at this point. Okay, He is a dictator. He is secure. He is seen as a god to the people that he ruled. 
and he thought he was God. But he's a God with bad dreams. Isn't that something? Let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you have insomnia, you're not God. Am I right? Because, I mean, God never sleeps anyway, but he never worries about bad dreams. People who live under this I am God delusion are always just one bad dream away from complete insecurity, okay? So here's what I want to do before we get rolling too far. I want you to find out your neighbor's name and just help them out a little bit and say, Joe, you're not God. It's just kind of good to get that out of the way, isn't it? Doesn't that help you? Hey, don't, don't get personal, okay? It, it's, fun, it, it's fun just to kind of admit that. And you're, you're going to say, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm God. Really? I mean, think about this for a minute. Because what happens is we come in here on the weekend and we're like, oh, Daniel, yay, Daniel. He's a great guy. He has the right worldview. He's the guy that believes in God. But, but do we not go back out and live the rest of our life kind of like Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, isn't there a part of you that wishes you could part the traffic? Isn't there a part of you that wishes you could just be whoever you wanted to be? Isn't there a part of you that's going back out during the week and working for family? and fortune and success and all of those things. Uh, right now, right before we get too far, you need to understand you're not God. You're not all that. You're not in charge of the universe. It's not really important. My favorite pride story along those lines, I used to tell on Bill and Hillary Clinton, then I told it, told it on George and Laura Bush and, you know, along the way. I can tell it on Barack and Michelle. We'll go with that, okay? Barack and Michelle Obama are driving through South Chicago and they stop for gas. And uh, Michelle gets into this really animated conversation with the gas station attendant. And Barack's kind of over taking care of something else and, 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 and you know, taking care of the car. And he, he, she gets back in the car. Michelle gets back in the car. And Barack says, well, Michelle, what was that all about? Did you know that guy? And she goes, oh, yeah, we used to date. And Barack's kind of getting all puffed up, you know. It's kind of like, well, I guess I know what you're thinking. And she says, no, what, what do you think I'm thinking? He said, well, you're probably thinking, sure glad I married the President of the United States and not a gas station attendant. And she said, no, actually what I was thinking is if I'd have married him, he'd be the President of the United States and you'd be a gas station attendant. <laughs> right? <clears throat> That's what I want you to get right up front. You're not all that. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's worldview as God actually makes him crazy in the long run. You, you should hear what else happens to Nebuchadnezzar. At one point, God knocks him down. At one point in Daniel uh, 4, verse 29, it says, As the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built, the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He gets all prideful about the stuff that he's done he's all puffed up about it as a matter of fact god does something hilarious you need to read on through this in daniel god does something hilarious to him he like zaps him and 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 turns him into a cow i'm, I'm not making this up nebuchadnezzar starts to lose his mind he grows his hair out he grows his fingernails out and he starts to go out and graze on the grass he literally goes mental because god said hey you think you're all that here I'll give you all that. And he turns him into a cow, okay? And he comes back. I mean, it's just some great stories in the Old Testament. But that's what's going to happen if you think you're all that. That's what, but if you think about it, that's why these guys always built stuff, right? Builders out there, you need to be careful. Because you can build stuff and you can look back and go, look at what I built. That's why all the rulers, you know, that's why they built the pyramids, 
Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you remember history, but there were the seven great uh, wonders of the ancient world, and one of them was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, if you remember any of that. These beautiful, elaborate hanging gardens that this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, built for his wife. Well, they, they would build stuff because they wanted to look great, they wanted to seem great, they wanted to be great to all the other people, okay? And, and that, that was great for them, and he had reason to be proud, he had reason because he was the greatest king in all the world, but it's so funny that he has insomnia in the second year of his reign. Even though he's got all of this stuff going on, he's got problems. And he starts to realize maybe he isn't God after all. And Nebuchadnezzar saw the world revolving around him, but it wasn't working out the way because there were these dreams and there was this worry in his mind. And I tell you all this because I want you to understand that worldview number one doesn't work very well. Lyndon B. Johnson had an ordained Southern Baptist pastor on his cabinet named Bill Moyer. And one day, uh, Johnson asked Moyer to pray for a cabinet meeting. And Moyer was praying, but he was kind of involved in his prayer, not thinking about everybody else around him. And he was being kind of quiet. And LBJ, as the story goes, LBJ stopped him and said, Hey, Moyer, speak up. We can't hear you. To which Moyer immediately turned around and said, I'm sorry, sir, I wasn't talking to you. Maybe that's, um, maybe that's what needs to happen in your life today. You, you, you need to understand that, that you're not God, <clears throat> that you're not in control of the universe. Anne Lamont said, the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. Okay? I'm not God. I need daily reminders of that. Sometimes they come in the, in the form of, of dreams that I can't understand that make me uneasy. Sometimes they come in the form of traffic that I can't part. Sometimes they come in the form of, of frustrations and things and tasks and the kids spill something maybe for you or, or something goes on and all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I can't control all this. So what I want to tell you is before you give in to road rage or task rage or spill rage or traffic rage or whatever it is, instead of doing that, why don't you just stop right now and say to yourself, I'm not God and the world does not revolve around me and it does not exist for the purpose of sparing me frustration. Because the sooner you get a hold of that, the, the, the better your life is going to be. Nebuchadnezzar had worldview number one, I am God and he is anxious, he is troubled because he's not God and it's a terrible way to live. Now, worldview number two, we find with his spiritual advisors. And their worldview is that God is far. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar says God is me. The advisors say God is far. The, the king has these dreams and he's troubled and he can't sleep. So he goes to his spiritual advisors and he says, here's this dream, can you interpret it for me? And it has a whole lot of different forms. I don't need to tell you about it. I want you to see their reaction. The astrologers answer the king... There is not a person on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician or an enchanter or an astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one on earth can reveal to the king his dreams except the gods. Listen, and they do not live on the earth. That's worldview number two. The gods don't live here. Worldview number one is I'm God, I'm in charge of everything, and that's a bad way to live because you're going to get insomnia. Worldview number two is that God is there, but he's too far away, he doesn't live on the earth. God up there, me down here is still a problem, right? And the funny thing is, sometimes I live 
under the delusion that I'm, in, I'm God. I mean, not, not mentally, but I, the way I act is that I'm in charge of everything and I've got to work everything out, and you do too. Sometimes, however, I work as if worldview number two is true. I work as if God is up there, but you know what? He doesn't need to mess with my problems or he's not handling my problems right now, so I'm going to take care of it myself. Do you ever do that? Or I give it to God and then I come back and I take it back again. And oddly enough, it's the same thing because one way or the other, I'm not going to sleep very well. Because I don't get the fact that I'm not running the universe. I don't get the fact that I'm not the guy that has to take care of everything and handle everything. So I'm anxious either way. Well, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like being told no. Daniel chapter 2 verse 12. And this made the king angry and furious. And so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Okay, That's the kind of king he was. He got dream rage. And he decided to kill everybody. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Here we are, chapter 1. He goes against the system and, 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 and risks the, op, the idea that he might get killed by not eating the royal food. Chapter 2, he's in trouble again because the astrologers think that God is far away and he gets thrown in the same category. What, what just happened here? Well, you see what happened is Daniel and his friends, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were spiritual advisors in training. Even though they were like 17 years old at this point, they were spiritual advisors in training. And when Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, if you can't interpret my dream, you're all dead, they get thrown into the same pile. Is that fair? No, of course it's not fair. I mean, it's, it's not fair times a million. And, and I bring this up because I want you to understand that you may be in a situation right now that's not fair either. You know, you want to talk about major cutbacks? <laughs> How about this? You're going to cut off your head. Maybe you're under major cutbacks. It's not your fault. Maybe you've got situations going on in your life that aren't your fault, and it's not fair. And right now you're thinking, you know what, God? This isn't fair. I, I, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. That's exactly what Daniel could have said. That's exactly what Daniel could have said. But Daniel has worldview number three. Worldview number one is that God is me. Worldview number two is that God is far. Worldview number three is God is here. So how does that make you live your life differently? Well, let me tell you a couple things about worldview number three people. The first thing is they don't panic. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with such wisdom and tact there he is doing it again. He's not being obstinate. He's not being a, a pain. He's just with wisdom intact. He said, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. All right, good. Daniel didn't get angry. He didn't freak out. He didn't go back and say, we're going to die, we're going to die. When he found out what was going on, with wisdom and tact, he started asking questions. He did some research. He asked why. Then he went to the king, and he asked for a little time. He procrastinated a little bit, asked for a little bit of time so that he could go and talk to his friends, and he could talk to God, and he could try to interpret this very complicated dream for Nebuchadnezzar. When circumstances are unfair, worldview three people don't panic. Okay? Panicking is not going to help anything. Freaking out and Christianity don't go together. I know that some of you are good freaker outers. Okay? You're super freaky. I get that. Okay? 
I understand that. But Jesus said, in case you're going, this is the Old Testament, I can't relate to Daniel. Here's what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Do not freak out. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not the body more, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? It's a good question. Christianity and freaking out. They don't go together. Worldview three people who believe God is here, they don't panic. Number one, whatever's going on in your life right now, don't panic. Number two, worldview three people who believe God is here work with a team. Check this out, verse 17. So what does Daniel do? He goes to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azarel, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Israel. You know what's great about this? Daniel has a small group. (laughs) I don't want to get Mark and Casey all excited, you know. There's a small group illustration in the sermon today. But the truth of the matter is we talk about this all the time around here. We talk about how important it is to be in community. I want to ask you something. If the king came to you right now and said, off with your head, would you have somebody to go back to tonight if you had one day left? Do you have somebody in your life that you could go back and say, hey, you know what? We're all going to die tomorrow. We should pray together. Is there somebody like that in your life? And if there's not, we want you to get in a small group. We're going to be signing people up very soon. We're going to be looking for host homes. We've already been shooting video. Uh, we're going to do a series called Weird when normal, why, when normal Isn't Working. And it's going to be our fall kind of a small group launch. We've already been videotaping it. And we're going to need some host homes. Because you need to be with a group of people. You can't come back in here and go, hey, everybody, pray for me. I'm going to die tomorrow. You need a small group of people that you can get together with and, and hang out with. That's what he does. And notice not, there's another detail. I mean, he doesn't just stop at the prayer. He goes on in verse 36. After he has, um, after he has gone to God and they prayed about it and God has shown him what the interpretation of the dream is, he comes back and he says, this is the dream, king, and now we will interpret it. You know, if it's me, I'm, I'm, I, got, I got the interpretation, I'm going to run back and go, I got it, I got it, I got it, let me tell you the dream. But Daniel very, very unselfishly says, you know what, we prayed about it and we have the interpretation of the dream. Not only that, you get to verse 49, I'm kind of blowing the end of the story for you, but it all turns out well and they get promoted because they've interpreted the dream. Because sometimes the bad stuff in our life actually works for good. I don't know, there's a scripture about that. And God uses it and makes something better happen later on. And that happens, but notice what happens. At Daniel's request, verse 49, the king also appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be administrators over the province of Babylon. I love this about Daniel's heart. I love that that he shares the prayer needs, and he shares the answer, and he shares the glory with the team. I I, I took several weeks off this summer. I I do every summer, try to get a little study break, a little vacation time in. I know some of you don't like it. I don't care. And... um, (laughs) And I'll do it next year, so just be ready, okay? 
because um, it's important, especially this summer, it was important for me to get, get away a little bit and clear my head with all the family stuff we've had going on and all those kinds of things. And, and uh, you know, not, not a lot of preachers like to do that. I mean, some, some preachers really, you know, they, they guard the pulpit really closely. They don't want anybody else coming in because, you know, they, they, they don't want the comment. They're basically insecure. They don't want anybody else coming in because they're insecure. And sometimes people will rib me and they'll go, oh, you know, Casey, man, Brian, man, they did, it. they did a great job. You better watch out. They're going to get your job. You know what I say to that? Here. <laughs> I'm going to Mars. All right? No, cool. I mean, I pray. I pray that, 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 that Casey and Jason and Adam and, and Brian and Kevin and, and, and Jill and, and, and Cheryl and our young leaders, our young teachers that are leading people, leading kids, I pray that they are better than me. I pray that they get better than me. I want them to continue to learn and to continue to develop because this is not my this is not my. Well, I don't have a pulpit. It's not my computer screen. It's not my thing, okay? It's not my church. It's God's church. And I don't have to be insecure. I'm, I'm not into image management because I don't have to worry about that. Because I have worldview number three that God is here so we can share it. And, you know, there's no I in team. I just made that up. There's no I in team. It all works together, okay? That's really, really important. Daniel doesn't have to promote himself. The third thing I see about worldview three people is that worldview three people turn to God. I mean, he turned to God immediately when um, the problem happened and his small group got together and they started praying about things. Um, Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe there, that he believed that he was God. The advisors thought God was far away. But the first thing Daniel did is he turned to God. He went to God and he's always going to go to God over and over and over again. Let me take you back and let you see the rest of the story. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. He told a small group, hey, we need an answer to this complicated dream. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel, in the middle of the night, praised the God of heaven and said, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. So interesting that this scripture would come up this week, isn't it? I mean, because I don't know if you heard, but they advertised this week that it is the lowest approval rating for our nation's leaders ever in our nation's history. Like, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Martian, nobody likes where our country's at right now. And everybody believes that our leaders are messing up. And, and no matter what side of the argument you end up on, right now you're a little bit frustrated. Dave Ramsey... Uh, Dave Ramsey tweeted this. He said, if the, if the United States of America was the average family in America, they would be making $58,000 a year, spending $75,000 a year, and be $327,000 in credit card debt. Does that make you feel better? No, I mean, and no, nobody's happy about that. Nobody's, nobody's happy about the way things are, do, are going on. So guess what? If you think you're God, you've got problems. If you think God is far away, you've got problems. But if you realize that God is here, you realize that God's in charge. God sets up kings and deposes them. He sets the times and the seasons. And God is going to take care of everything. It's fascinating that this came up this week. I think it's interesting. Now, normally, the other th fascinating thing about this prayer, this middle of the night prayer, is it normally a prayer of thanksgiving, okay? Normally, the praise God from whom all blessings flow prayer happens after the situation is over, 
right? But Daniel is still in the middle of a death sentence. He doesn't know if the king is going to talk to him tomorrow or if he's going to be executed at dawn. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is that he prayed for an answer and God gave him an answer. And so he's going to praise God in the middle, in the middle of his problem. I, I think that's my favorite thing about Daniel chapter 2 is right in the middle of it. Daniel goes, oh, praise God. You set everything up. You're in charge. It's all good. That's what happens when you have worldview number three. That's what happens when you can trust that, that you don't have to worry about your food or your clothes or the economy or your job or, or all those other things. You don't have to worry about that because God is still in control. Even if nothing's changed in your life, God is still in control. You praise him in the middle of your storm. You know, when, when God is here, it changes everything. We gather together in the middle of our stories. That's why we do this every week. We come together and we worship. Oh no, you never let go. Why do we do that? Because in the middle of our stories, we still know that it's okay. That God's in control. So we go back, uh, verse 26, let me tell you the rest of the story. So the king asked, this is so cool. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel says, nope. Daniel says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. Okay? You know, I'm thinking, if you are before the king of the world who is going to cut your head off, the automatic answer is yes, sir. Right? I mean, that's just, that's just my place. This is one place where effective communication is really important, when the king could cut your head off. It's also important if you have a Chinese restaurant that effective communication happened. Okay? Just saying. You don't want anybody to misunderstand, but Daniel is more concerned with what God thinks than with what King Nebuchadnezzar thinks. So Daniel says, <coughs> no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Here it is. But there is a God in heaven who reveals all mysteries. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And then he goes on to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, right up until that point, says, I'm still not God, it's still not my problem, and no, I can't do anything. But there is a God in heaven. John Ortberg wrote about Daniel this way. He said, okay, this is, just pretend this is Daniel. Here's the earth. And this is my place in it, and I'm just one of lots of other people. And in heaven is a great big God, an infinite God so big that watching over this planet is no trouble for him. It's no sweat for him because he is God. He never has a sleep problem. He is never troubled by anxious thoughts or bad dreams. And not only that, but this God whose kingdom will one day come to earth has a direct relationship with me. I'm not God. I'm just one of his friends. So I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to make sure I get credit for lots of stuff. It doesn't make any difference if I'm just a lowly political prisoner and you're the most powerful and secure person on the face of the earth. That doesn't matter because there is a God in heaven and he's not just in heaven. He's right here and he knows me and he cares about me. I'm not God. I'm just his friend, but I'm not on my own. So because of that, Daniel's life is full of confidence instead of fear. It's it's a spirit of courage and not a spirit of timidity. Because he realizes that. Interesting that he uses the term God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Normally when an Israelite person would talk about God, they would use the name Yahweh or Elohim or one of the names that they knew God's name was. 
But he says very purposefully, there is a God in heaven, and he describes him completely differently. He wants him to understand that this is not an Israelite God. Because Babylon had conquered a lot of different nations who believed in a lot of different gods. And he didn't want to just say, well, this is Yahweh, because Nebuchadnezzar didn't know Yahweh. So he said, one of the few times in the Old Testament, there is a God in heaven. He is the Lord over everything. He is the Lord over Nebuchadnezzar. He is the Lord over me. He's the Lord over Babylon. He's the Lord over Israel. He is the God of heaven. And he is the Lord of Jerusalem. And he is the Lord of Rome. And he is the Lord of Babylon. And he's the Lord of New York. And he's the Lord of Washington, D.C. And he's the Lord of Chicago. And he's the Lord of Orland Park. He's the Lord of Lockport. He's the Lord of Mokina. He's the Lord of New Lenox. He's the Lord of wherever it is that you live. Because there is a God in heaven. Say that with me. There is a God in heaven. You need to get it. But there is a God in heaven. Say it with me again. But there is a God in heaven. Say it with some passion. But there is a God in heaven. Okay, that's what I want you to remember this week. When you go back into your Babylon... When you go back into your situation that's hard, when you go back into the middle of your still in the death sentence, it's the middle of the night that things are not solved. All things haven't worked together for good yet. You remember this, this is all you have to remember this week. There is a God in heaven. And he will take care of everything. So you can take a vacation from your worries. Remember what about Bob, you know? Dreyfus is like, hey, Bob, this week, just take a vacation from your worries. Okay, that's my advice for you. Hey, this week, just take a vacation from your worries. Just understand this worldview. I'm not God. I'm just his real good friend. Well, I'm, not, I'm not worldview number one. I don't, think, I don't think, or more importantly, act like I'm God and I have to take care of everything. It's not worldview number two where I believe that, yeah, there's a God, but he doesn't care about me or he's got bigger things to deal with than my stuff. That's not the right worldview. The worldview is there is a God in heaven. And he sets up kings and deposes them and he's going to make everything right and everything is going to work out in the end. So I can take a vacation this week from my worries. Somebody sent this to me. Good morning, I'm the Lord your God. Today, I will be handling all of your problems. Please remember that I do not need your help. (laughs) I mean, it's funny if you think about it, right? Like, God needs us. If the devil happens to deliver a situation to you that you cannot handle, do not attempt to resolve it. Kindly put it in the SFJTD box. Something for Jesus to do box. It will be addressed in my time, not yours. Once the matter is placed into the box, do not hold on to it or attempt to resolve it on your own. Holding on or removal will delay the resolution of your problem. Because I do not sleep, nor do I slumber, there is no need for you to lose any sleep. So rest, my child. If you need to contact me, I'm only a prayer away. Love eternally, the Lord your God. P.S. Please pass this on to all my other kids. So I did. Corey Ten Boom survived the Holocaust. Uh, all the rest of her family was killed in uh, Auschwitz. Just an unbelievable story, an unbelievable Christian lady who was able to not only survive miraculously, but forgive those who uh, took everything away from her. And I think she summed up Daniel chapter 2 probably the best. She said, When you face an impossible challenge in your life, if you look around, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. 
But if you look up, you'll be at rest. Amen. We're going to do communion now. And um, I, I, before I do that, I want to take you just really back quickly into the actual prophecy because I didn't talk about it. There's a lot of prophecy that's hard to discern in, in the book of Daniel, what was about then and what's about the future and all that kind of stuff. But in the middle of the dream interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel comes up with uh, an interpretation and he says there's going to be, verse 34, a rock that is cut not by human hands. And the rock is going to become a huge mountain and it's going to fill the whole earth. And of its kingdom, there will be no end. Right in the middle of Daniel chapter 2, if you go back and read it, there's a prophecy about Jesus who is going to come and He's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Isaiah said, and He shall reign forever and ever. And His kingdom was going to come. So you could imagine why when the crazy camel hair bug eating guy, John the Baptist, started, started preaching around the countryside and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. People started listening. People flocked to Him because they've been waiting They've been waiting for the cornerstone, for the rock, for the precious kingdom of God to get started. And of course, it did, and they didn't recognize it because they were looking for a physical kingdom instead of a spiritual kingdom. But the truth of the matter is, one day, King of kings and Lord of lords, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the truth of the matter is, He is reigning forever and ever, and He shall reign forever and ever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. So you've got to decide which kingdom view, which worldview you want to be in on. Because whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever wants to be their own God or thinks that God is far away, they're on their own. So as we take communion right now, I love what Jay said at the beginning, yes, we have a cross, yes, it's important that we have a cross, because that was the stone that crushed all the kingdoms of the world that were controlled by Satan. All the kingdoms of this world that that have tried to be on their own, that have tried to be outside of God, they're all crushed, they're all gone. Death is gone, Satan is vanquished, and Jesus is king. You may not be able to see it right now, you may not be able to feel it right now, but there is a God in heaven. And that's why we worship. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you right now, we remember that there is a God in heaven, and I pray for those who are in the middle of their storm right now. It's the middle of the night, and they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I pray that they will be able to praise you and to know that there is a God in heaven and that you set up kings and depose them, and you are the one who who rules the universe. We don't see it. And Daniel's going to go to the lion's den next week for crying out loud. It doesn't all get great for him right away either. But in the end, we do believe that you are in control and we give ourselves to you. And this is why we call it faith, because faith is about those things that we cannot see. So we come to you in faith right now. Jesus, if there are people in this room who don't have you, I pray that you're knocking really loudly on the door of their heart so that they can open up and let you in. And all you need to do, people, if you're sitting out there, is just say, Jesus, I need you to be in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my king. You are my new worldview. You are in charge. 
I'm taking a vacation. It's such an amazing story. We celebrate your gift of love. And we ask that you be with us as we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.